My name is Chao Wang, and in this episode, I hope to highlight the industries, state-of-the-art innovative technologies, and hydrocarbon discovery, addressing deep geologic challenges. Welcome to Seismic Sound Off, exploring the depth and usefulness of geophysics for the scientific community and the public. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In the 1920s, the first oil discovery in Seminole, Oklahoma was made at a depth of approximately 4,000 feet. Currently, the world's deepest oil well in Russia extends 49,000 feet into the Earth's surface. Deep exploration below existing production, complex overburden, or at the limits of geophysical resolution is critical for existing and emerging ventures. To meet these challenges, Researchers and geoscientists are actively working to acquire better data and develop innovative methods to improve imaging. In this episode, guest editors Chow Wang and Stephen Graff highlight the recent advances that improve success and extend capability in challenging deep environments. Chow and Stephen explain how and why the various geological settings impact deep exploration. They also explore the role of machine learning and AI and other technological developments that warrant attention. Across the six papers in October's The Leading Edge, Chow and Stephen will also share what surprised them in editing this special section. Chow Wang is Senior Staff Geophysicist at OXY. Stephen Graff is a Staff Senior Geophysicist at OXY. To read the articles in October's special section, visit seg.org slash podcast or check out the show notes where you're listening now. And next, my conversation with Chow and Steven. Well, this is exciting to talk about. This was a big special section in general, and and I always get very excited when Steve tells me that I have two eager people to to speak to about about the articles. So we're going to look at October as the leading edge, which focuses on deep exploration How has the meaning of deep exploration changed throughout the history of oil and gas exploration? So I'll just highlight that a mentor of mine kept saying to me and highlighted pretty strongly that exploration takes many forms. And, you know, I think that deeper exploration is really just a constantly moving definition and is always evolving. So, for example, you know, the first out-of-sight land offshore well was in 1947 in 15 feet of water in the Gulf of Mexico Shelf. You know, at the time, that probably would have been deep exploration, you know. And not too long ago, the first sub-salt canopy well was drilled in South Marsh 200, right? So I think those are just two examples where the goalpost sort of naturally keeps moving, keeps getting pushed farther out. But also, you know, or deep exploration could be you know, the government's incentive to promote deep gas exploration along the Gulf Coast, right? So there are, it depends on kind of which frame of reference you're looking at it from. And so you come to now where we're starting to reach into the 20K PSI realm. We've got the technology to do that. We've got new discoveries in the Guiana and Orange Basins that sort of untap new potential. And so I think it's just, like I said, that sort of this constantly moving target and you sort of factor in these net zero targets and um, carbon capture and sequestration. I mean, that's a completely new territory for that can be considered in and of itself sort of exploration because we truly don't know how these large scale sequestration efforts are going to work. Yeah, I like the hint there, Stephen, of that exploration is just like figuring out what is there, not just simply a matter of depth, which is certainly kind of the first thing I think of when I think of deep exploration, but also just 
the curiosity of what is even there. And Chow, offshore drilling is kind of the first thing I think of with deep exploration, but how do the various geological settings impact deep exploration? So my background is uh, computational mathematics. And so uh, I have been working as a research geophysicist since I graduated. So from a research geophysicist point, uh, the geologic setting impacts the research trajectory of a geophysicist. So each setting presents unique challenges that shape the research directions and methodologies. So for each geologic setting, they all have its own unique challenges and requires different research focus. And uh, they all require a unique combination of tools and workflow to make it work. I can uh, briefly talk about each element for land, for deep water, or... Well, let's go to the next question on that, Chow, because that's kind of what the, the next question sort of does get at with when we're looking at exploring on land or water. Is one of them easier, you would say, at this time? And does one, in your mind, have a greater potential of oil and gas or even carbon sequestration as well? For a uh, Different environments that come with their own sets of complexities, advantages, and potentials. So in terms of ease, I think maybe we can say land exploration might be considered easier due to easy access and low cost. However, research challenges still remain. Like on land, the challenges include near-surface variability and signal-to-noise ratio, which requires advanced static correction, accurate near-surface velocity model building, and simulations, like uh, advanced noise attenuation and then signal enhancement techniques. Those are very important for land. And for marine, it's quite different. Like for our subsalt regions, the challenges include uh, complex subsalt imaging, illumination, model uncertainties, where we need full azimuth, ultra-long offset and low-frequency data. So one good technology for subsod is uh, the new te- uh, acquisition technology like OBN and also advanced inversion algorithm like elastic full from inversion. Those are to enhance accuracy and the resolution. However, the OBN and FWI works successful offshore but for online, onshore is very challenging. So they all have uh, different challenges and different potentials. Stephen, what would, what would you like to add there? It's kind of a lot in that question. Is there something that excites you more on those two of, of kind of a greater potential? Yeah, I mean, I think the potential there is for both. I think um, kind of getting to Chow's point, you know, FWI and some of those new technologies on land is is more difficult. But I think it's which one is easier or not is a really interesting multifaceted question because the ease of which to explore depends on the inherent subsurface risk and above ground or water risk, you know, and the company objective. So it's kind of, there's a lot of factors that go into it. You know, for example, if a goal for a company is to flip an acres position, then it may be easier for them to quote unquote explore onshore to sort of quickly prove up a position. Or if the goal is to like have steady long-term production, then it may be easier to explore offshore. And the main risk element now of that becomes sort of like these geologic things like top seal and stuff like that, piece of geo-risk. But you and so for carbon sequestration, the risk that that poses is that's a top seal risk, basically, right? So how much how can the CO2 is a CO2 going to leak off in X number of years? So I think which has a greater potential and which is easier 
it's kind of the age old answer of it. It really just depends, you know? Yeah. What you're both getting at is it's, you can't really put land and Marine in the same bucket. You know, FWI might be successful in one area, might not do so well over here. And you're, you're facing different issues. And one of the things also, you know, deep exploration, as well as all geophysics, really, it's impacted by hardware, equipment. Now you've got algorithm development, machine learning, computing, you know, of the various areas that impact deep exploration, do you find one that's kind of furthest along in improving deep exploration and what area is lagging? And, and let me know if that depends, land or marine, maybe, maybe those are very different responses there. I have, I think for, for hardware acquisition algorithm and computing, all of these have been, we have seen tremendous advancements. Uh, now we have OBN, we have DAS, we have high-end velocity model building and imaging with FWI and D-square RTM. So all of those, I think we have seen tremendous advancement. So the lacking part, I think, it could be that digital technology might be considered as lagging in the sense that its full potential in transforming deep exploration is still unfolding. So that integration of AI, machine learning, and other digital tools into geophysical workflows is still in relatively early stage compared to their adoption in other industry, I would say. Speaking of machine learning, it is certainly one of the hottest topics across many disciplines. We're hearing about it really everywhere. And of course, it impacts deep exploration. Chow, you were just saying how it might be a little lagging other than in, in compared to some other industries and areas. But what other technological developments do you think warrant attention for deep exploration or just are really far along and you just want to kind of note that this is really succeeding in, the, in this area? So I will start from FWI. FWI is an advanced seismic inversion technique that uses the full waveform to reconstruct subsurface properties. And it has proven to be a very powerful tool for velocity model building and the seismic imaging, especially with OBN data. Dennis and uh, his colleague presented us the first paper in this uh, special session that explained more on the FWI with OBN. And another technology development, um, I would say, will be DAS. So DAS uses the fiber optic cables as sensors to detect acoustic and seismic waves. And it offers a cost-effective, flexible, doable, and reliable method for high-resolution seismic data acquisition and reservoir monitoring. And Alda Mood and his colleague uh, presented a DAS VSP in this special session as well. Um, another area I would say we see more te technical development will be HPC and cloud computing. I think our industry as a geophysics uh, seismic imaging, it has a lot of uh, requirement for computing. And HPC, especially with cloud computing, meets the demand for our modern algorithms, including FWI and RTM, etc., especially with the GPU acceleration and the clouds uh, scalable and elastic compute, those requirements are significantly got satisfied, I think, nowadays. Yeah, and just to add on to one thing that Chow mentioned was um, to the cloud computing is 
there's a lot of work going on trying to figure out the best way to engineer a human in the loop for artificial intelligence workflows. And I think one thing that I'm really looking at and paying attention to in the future for how this sort of technology develops is, is how, how can we do that? Like what's, how can we develop the tools to leverage all this compute power, not only to do the, um, the really difficult and time consuming processing, just raw horsepower of it, but also how can we integrate the human into it as well, you know, and change workflows on the fly, be it on the processing side or on the interpretation side, because, you know, there's just tons of data that we have to tear apart and leveraging AI, but also sort of having the, um, the kind of artistic approach that the human element adds to it, I think is, is really going to be interesting moving forward. We'll start with, with Steven on this and then go to Chow. I, I want to hear from both of you, especially since you're kind of coming at this from different academic and, and technical expertise. Is there a, a common misperception or, or one misperception that the public often has about deep exploration? You know, first and foremost is safety. You know, I think you go out to a modern drill ship or semi-sub or a land rig, but particularly in the offshore. I mean. It's clean, you know, it's uh, massive. They're floating cities. It's, you know, basically a small town out on the water. And the commitment to safety, I think, in the industry has made leaps and bounds over the past decade or two. And I think that get, gets missed, particularly when, you know, news stories come out that sort of paint the industry in a negative light. And, and for those sorts of things that do come out, I mean, those definitely do need to be addressed. But also not only that, you know, with the focus of new AI focused technologies, I think the safety is going to continue to improve. You know, you, how can we leverage like spot the robot dog? You know, that's we're thinking about how to initiate or how to bring those out to operation sites and for safety, for HSC evaluations and things like that. But furthermore, just the amount of, of cutting edge technology kind of away from the safety side is just. I think it gets missed and kind of swept under, not swept under the rug, but I think it just kind of goes unseen is a better way to put it. How much technology advancements in the oil and gas industry have transferred to other industries historically, you know, just in terms of how well the oil and gas industry was able to improve the technology behind compute power, high-end algorithms and things like that. You know, it's, it's truly mind-boggling the amount of technology that goes into the things that we all do in this industry. And um, I think that gets lost, you know? And so maybe we need to do a better job of messaging that and promoting that. Yeah, I think uh, Stephen covers uh, most part of it. I just want to mention that the deep exploration is not only for drilling deeper wells to find more hydrocarbons, so well, while DAPS is certainly a component, but not the only one. So we need to combine all geology, technology, and environments. So it's not just about finding more oil and gas, but also doing so responsibly and uh, efficiently. 
in looking at this special section, you both were guest editors on it. There were six papers and, and there were a wide range of topics covering a lot of different areas. What was one thing that excited you or surprised you when reading these papers? And, and we'll start with Chow. My background was in applied and computational mathematics. So I've been working as a research geophysicist for almost 15 years now. And what was exciting for me to read this uh, TLE papers is that we're not just uh, solving the uh, theoretical problems, but also finding real-world solutions with impactful results that can lead to significant discoveries in the subsurface structures in ways that were not possible before. Uh, so as a research physicist, I mainly focus on evaluating the, the method, the tools, the approaches that the author used. And I excited to see whether the methods are valid and is that an innovative approach or a modification of uh, existing methods. And then I'll, I need to make sure the assumption clearly stated and uh, they are reasonable. And the most exciting part is to see the results aligns with their objectives. Uh, so it's very, very exciting to read those papers with those real-world solutions. I'll add that I love seeing the breadth of topics. You know, we have workflows for improved inversions, you know, novel approaches for sort of tackling near-surface challenges and how that impacts deep imaging. I thought it was excellent. Better seismic acquisition and imaging approaches, not only with sort of sparse node OBN, which is very uh, popular today, but also with new VSB technologies. It all makes for an exciting time in the industry. And I think we're really on the precipice of, of continued great things to come. Well, speaking of great things to come, if, if you two are, are back as editors in five years from now and you're doing deep exploration and the leading edge again, what do you think will be the big topic in that issue five years from now, whether it's, you know, an advancement that's really gotten full roots or something that you think could be the future of deep exploration? What do you think would might be a, a theme five years from now if you're doing these papers again in the leading edge? I think new novel ways of interpretation to decrease cycle time and improve the risk profile for these exploration opportunities. I think our current approach is getting a bit outdated. It's very much one thing and then the next and then the next, and it's very sequential. And I think we need to develop tools like we discussed earlier to leverage these AI techniques while keeping, like we were talking about earlier, the human in the loop to truly leverage the full potential of all the data that we have at our disposal you know, which we currently use just a fraction of it. We can only ingest so much with our two eyes at a time. And what if we were able to sort of leverage all of it and do it in a way that sort of it either doesn't add to the project timeline or do it in a way where it can actually make the timeline shorter? You know, that's very value additive. But this involves tools and software that we don't have yet. And so I look forward to... Um, to seeing papers along that as they come out, hopefully. And also, you know, establishing better open data standards so that we're a little bit more platform agnostic, ideally. But all that's still being worked out. So I look forward to seeing how that space develops. Chow, anything to add there? 
I think a little bit on the AI part as well. So we're we're all seeing AI and big data now is a big theme. But I think the one part from my side seeing it's missing is uh missing a lot of the physics. So it's well even as a uh, data driven. Uh, so we still want to make it uh, combining data driven versus uh, physics driven. So I think eventually we want a physics driven data and analytics uh, with deep learning that will further enhance the accuracy and efficiency of the current way of doing the subsurface imaging and reservoir characterization. Yeah. Geology and physics are very key parts when, when you're talking about applied geophysics. You know, in, in setting up this conversation, Stephen, in our communications, you mentioned that you and Chow are coming at deep exploration from different perspectives. We'll, we'll start with Stephen and, and then go to Chow. How did those different perspectives impact how you read these six papers for The Leading Edge? Yeah, so I began my career in music. You know, I tried to cut my teeth doing that and in the arts. And so science at the time, it just wasn't a big part of my career. But as I began to transition to geophysics, it became quite clear that as much science there is, there's an equal amount of, of art to what we do. And so in reading these papers, I really enjoyed the technical aspect of the papers, just as much as how do the authors, authors craft their story and really get their message across. And so I like to look at sort of what is the impact of the message and sort of how do you feel after reading that paper? And all these things go into creating great articles. And I think The Leading Edge is one of the really best journal journals out there that highlights both technical and sort of brings in the artistic side of things. And I think it shows really what our industry is capable of. I remember back in academia, we focused uh, a lot on the theoretical part where we don't really tackle the real world problem. Either we don't have the computing resource, we don't have the time allowed to do everything at once. So we focus a lot more on the theoretical part. So, so reading the TLE papers, we're not just solving the theoretical problems. So here we're really solving the real world problems. We're looking for real world solutions uh, with great results. And those results can lead to significant uh, discoveries in the oil and gas, in the subsurface uh, exploration. So in the ways that were not possible before. So that's uh, what excites me about. Yeah, I don't know if you you all saw Oppenheimer, the, the film, but that's kind of one of the central uh, sources of conflict really in that or tension in, in that movie is the theoretical scientists, you know, kind of going up and trying to apply this this into something much massive with the Manhattan Project. But yeah, moving it into the applied world um, is a major aspect of science too. It isn't just one or the other. You really do need both, but it is nice when you can, I think the leading edge does a really nice job of seeing it in the real world of how you could actually use these tools and technologies and these scientific concepts. Uh, we'll start with Chow and, and then go to Stephen. What would be your punchline as we're closing this conversation? What would kind of be uh, something you would encourage people to to take from this conversation to go as they look at these six papers in the leading edge? So I would say uh, diving deep into exploration has been enlightening and keep exploring and stay curious. Yeah, and I'll add, you're right, it's, it's quite the journey and that comes with a certain amount of discomfort. And I would... You know, I would lean into that feeling of discomfort that comes with change and because that's where growth happens. 
I feel like this, this would apply to this last question, but I'll ask it anyway, because uh, it is a little different. Steven, you've hinted at, at the musical aspect of your journey. Uh, so for both of you, we'll, we'll start with Steven and then finish up with Chow. If you had to describe your journey in, in one word, what would it be and why? Perseverance. You know, you never know what's going to happen, right? And so just even if you don't know what's going to happen or what lays in front of you the next day, just do something, you know, just start because you can always change direction later. Yeah, for me, it's iteration. So much like the iterative uh, processing optimization, my journey has been a series of iterative refinement and enhancement. So aiming to improve accuracy, coherency, and advancement in uh, geophysical technology. I appreciate speaking with both of you. I ju- we just, August, The Leading Edge had a, had a whole article around how music can help you interpret seismic. So, you know, hopefully you, you uh, are able to incorporate your musical talents and new, new ways and novel ways for, for what we're, we're talking about here. And, and we'll link to all the articles in, in this special section. And thank, thank you both for taking the time out to volunteer your time on this special section and for speaking with me about it today. Yep. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. You reached the end of Seismic Sound Off. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to be the first to know about the next episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Two of my favorites are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have episode ideas, feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, visit seg.org podcast and find the box titled Contact Seismic Sound Off. Zach Bridges created original music for this show. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at Treasurement. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.